2: And before we start today's episode, I need to give you a little heads up. There's some naughty words and some adult themes in this episode. You'd be disappointed if there wasn't, really. So steady yourself. We're going in.
1: From the waist, stretch. Become taller.
2: When you stand and sit incorrectly, your abdominal organs are so crowded that they have no room to function efficiently. you think of when you think of a corset? Do you think of tit crushing, rib rupturing, manacles of female oppression? But what if you're wrong? What if we're all wrong? What if the corset isn't that at all and has been much maligned throughout history by snooty doctors and men trying to make fun of women for wanting to look nice? Because that is a new narrative that's emerging. When did people start to wear corsets? Who wore corsets? Did men wear corsets? What were they made of? And for goodness sake, what does Kim Kardashian have to do with any of this? Well, let's get betwixt the sheets to find out.
1: What do you look for man? Oh, money, of course. <laughs> You're supposed to rise when
0: an adult speaks to you. I
1: make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning the knob and pushing the button.
2: Yes, social courtesy does make a difference.
0: Goodness, what beautiful then. Goodness has nothing to do with it,
2: dearie. Hi there, I'm Kate Lister and you're listening to Betwixt the Sheets: the history of sex, scandal in society. Have you ever worn an item of clothing that prompted someone to come up to you and inform you that you are setting women's rights back by 100 years? Well, my guest today has, and lo and behold, it was a corset. And this sparked off a whole new career researching the social and cultural implications of the corset and to challenge the idea that corsets were imposed on women as tools of patriarchal control. Dr Alana McKnight is a historian and corset enthusiast with a PhD in communications and culture from Toronto Metropolitan University and she is here to help us debunk some of the misconceptions around corsetry and tell us the truth. Where did corsets come from? Who wore them? And how did they pave the way for modern day shapewear like Spanx and waist trainers? And because it would be rude not to, I want to know what it was like as a fashion historian to watch Kim Kardashian sashay down the Met Gala red carpet in Marilyn Monroe's actual dress. And I'll give you a clue, it, it wasn't well received. Hello and a huge welcome to fashion historian Dr. Alana McKnight. Hello and thank you for joining me betwixt the sheets. Hello, thank
3: you so much for having me. I'm excited.
2: I'm thrilled to have you here and the reason I'm so excited to have you here is you helped me out of a Twitter spat (laughs) a couple of (laughs) years ago. This was my first introduction slash bitch slap to corset (laughs) history because i had put together a twitter thread where i said of course it's really bad they're really damaging that they, they cracked ribs they did all this stuff and very swiftly very swiftly i was informed that was not the case and you yes. w- yeah it's a touchy subject <laughs> wow that was a trigger point but i mean i get that because if you're passionate about something and people keep misrepresenting it you're going to be yeah. passionate but you very kindly messaged me and sent me links and to your work and to There's a whole revision going on around the history of corsets, including historians like myself have that they were damaging and dangerous and suffocating is not true.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's very long-held belief that this part of everyday life of women for hundreds of years was damaging and difficult. It's sort of assuming that women were stupid for that long, (laughs) to dress uncomfortably for that long, and I came into it sideways through wearing corsets as a teenager, and I didn't know this history until I was told that I'm bringing women's rights back 100 years by wearing corsets, and that's when I started wondering what the history is, what is this story, and, you know, it's been 20 years later, and here I am, fighting the good fight.
2: Oh, my goodness. So... Who the hell told you that you were bringing women's rights back 100? Who said that?
3: Yeah, this is my origin story. <laughs> As
2: all good stories begin, I was
3: a teenage goth kid in the 90s. And I was at a punk show at a bowling alley in the suburb I lived in. And I was wearing a corset and my boyfriend's PVC pants. And this friend of mine came up to me and was like, you're being a bad feminist. And I was like, oh, how is what I'm wearing affecting women's history? <laughs>
2: wow. And it is a really like when you think about it, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, I definitely have you, is the corset is emblematic of women throughout history, a very particular type of woman. It's become like a byword, hasn't it, for women being Mm -hmm. oppressed. And we all still have this idea that they were hideous tools of oppression of the patriarchy.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I've noticed that it's in particular Victorian corsets. So like the late 19th century, you know, I've been in museums and I always take my headphones out and listen to the people around me at museums and they'll compliment all the other dresses and then they'll come to a Victorian corset and be like, oh, those poor women. And they'll like walk away on their six inch heels and their skin tight (laughs) jeans. It's so
2: true. It's I'm just sat here in like a pair of Spanx going, <laughs> oh God, the awful tools of the oppression patriarchy. But they yeah. didn't start in the 19th century, did they? Corsets are much earlier than that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the theory is that it started with the Assyrians. You know, there's sculptures of women, snake goddesses with these tiny cinched waists. But for, in terms of modern corsetry, we're looking at the 16th century. There's an excellent historian of early modern shapewear named Sarah Bendall. She just released a book called Shaping Femininity about that specific period. And yeah, they've changed shapes. The area of compression has changed. The shapes have changed. I argue that corsets have, even in the 20th century, never went away. The materials changed and the site of compression changed. But yeah, it's a very long history that we're still part of. We're still working through it.
2: I mean, I think we might call it like shapewear now, but it's basically doing the same thing, isn't it?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, in the 1920s, the idea is that people stopped wearing corsets in the 1920s. But to achieve the garçon shape, the straight up and down shape, not everyone had that. So there were sort of breast binders and hip binders. Girdles. And then you get the Dior new look, which there's a British Pathé video that shows a new look model getting dressed. And it's the most extreme corset I've ever seen. And this is the 1940s.
2: Wow. And... Men wore corsets, didn't they, when they were the earliest ones?
3: Mm hmm yeah. We're not sure how popular they were, but there are advertisements. And I found in the course of my research uh, an article from the Toronto Star from 1905 advising men how to wear corsets and that, you know, it's not a feminine thing. Don't worry, guys, it's not feminine. It'll help you bring back your masculine figure. And it's really interesting within the Canadian context, too, because there's this idea of the canadian man being you know the lumberjack the fur trapper the frontiersman and by the turn of the 20th century it's all blue collar and they've lost that masculinity so corsets can hold in your stomach and push out your chest and make you the strong firm you know the language used in the advertisements is like hard and straight and erect and it's very phallic and Yeah, it's this article from the Toronto Star from 1905 advises men how to wear corsets, where to buy men's corsets, that it's not a ladies thing. It's not just for women. Men can wear corsets, too. And we forget that men wore corsets because the language around them changed. So they started being called belts and trusses. So every now and then, you know, there's even a quote from the cartoon Futurama where the professor talks about getting his evening truss. So that's him putting on a corset.
2: A corset, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why this story that corsets dislodged ribs, that they crushed internal organs, that women fainted within five minutes and couldn't breathe. I think one of the reasons why this has become so pervasive is because, and I'll explain what I mean, there's a lot of evidence for it. It's not like there are other historical myths where it's just kind of like, well, that's just obviously nonsense. That just never, ever happened. But like, you know, they do the rounds occasionally. But the corsets being damaging, this isn't like an internet thing that somebody just started blogging about and then it took off. There's actual sources from the 19th century of doctors writing endlessly about how awful they are, how they crush women. So what was going on there? Why were they writing this stuff?
3: Well, it was, should say, largely male doctors. <laughs> There's actually one male doctor who referred to them as also being palpably ugly as though that's a medical diagnosis. It all stems from kind of a eugenics point of view. There was a theory that in the late 19th century, there was a decline in birth rate. So corsets were pointed at as one of these causes. And there was a fear that women wearing corsets would lower the birth rate of specifically the white middle class. One doctor actually said that it would leave propagation to the coarse but healthy lower class, as though the 19th century lower class was healthy. <laughs> you know, <that's> just <laughs> yeah, so it's very much based in this eugenics point of view where women should remove their corsets, stay at home, have many babies. And they also said that corsets took, and fashion in general, not just corsets, but the dress of the period as well, in general, was too complicated and distracted women from Improving their brains and taking care of their families. And, you know, it was this woman's place to be kind of the natural woman.
2: It's an interesting shift, isn't it? They suddenly, they're singled out, along with other items, actually, about... Like irrational, silly dress that silly women are wearing because they're silly and they just want to look pretty. And that's what they're obsessed with. And it's really bad for your health. And it's just silliness. Mm -hmm, There's like a shift in the 19th century to that.
3: Yeah. There's also fake news, if you'll excuse the term, was seriously a thing in the 19th century. I found one article that was published Widely. I found it in the Toronto Star, but it was also republished in England, and it came out of Chicago about the first surgery on a malfunctioning pylorus sphincter, which is an opening between the intestines and the stomach. And the article said that it was because of tight lacing a corset. So if you just read that and carried on with your life, you'd think, oh, geez, that's horrifying. Maybe I should stop wearing my corset. You know, I'm going to tell my wife to stop wearing her corset. But the next week, there was a follow-up where the doctor said, no, (laughs) I never said this. Now my name is attached to this claim that's gotten far and wide around the world, and I never said it was due to tight lacing, and I'm sure the gentleman who I operated on would be horrified to hear this as well. So not only wasn't it a woman who was tight lacing who caused this problem, it wasn't because of a corset at all, but
2: this was the news, and if you didn't catch the follow-up article... You would just left thinking that of course it's going to rupture your internal organs and i've found articles like not just in newspapers but in the lancet there were like medical people writing in medical journals about how horrendously dangerous these corsets were
3: yeah it's largely about trying to control women's bodies so it's the opposite of what we think right it's removing women's agency in dress so it would be the equivalent of you know, The Lancet Today writing about the dangers of, you know, breast implants, which granted those do have dangers, or, you know, some other cosmetic procedure that is perfectly safe, but there's some small portion. You know, there's always risk with everything. You know, there's risk with walking down the street. There's no guarantee that you're not going to get hit by a bus. So it's just, there are risks to everything, but a lot of the corset claims are wildly overemphasized. And we also have to keep in mind the nature of Victorian medicine. No, it wasn't exactly where we are today.
2: (laughs) No, no, it is very much in many areas driven by cultural attitudes and misogyny. Yes, absolutely.
3: Yeah. And especially women's health in the 19th century. Especially
2: women's health. So that's where we start to get the sort of the demonization of the corset as women being silly. And it's almost used as a way to kind of make women look ridiculous that if all these clever men are saying that it's so bad for your health and you're still wearing it then you must be ridiculous
3: yeah exactly and the laundry list of illnesses that they claimed corsets caused ranged from prolapsed uterus to
2: stupidity just put your corset on and suddenly you're just stupid because it just makes sense like when you start to unpack it is and especially like when you said well women just wouldn't have worn something for 300 years that they couldn't breathe in that makes perfect sense What were the corsets made of? Because I've heard of whalebone corsets, but what were they made of?
3: Yeah, so originally in the 16th century to around the 18th century, they used reeds or wood or whalebone. And by the mid-19th century, the whaling industry started to decline, largely because the whales stopped being around. (laughs) They just were hunted to extinction, and it was incredibly dangerous. So with the changes in technology, they developed steel bones, and those were popular for a long time. And around the 1870s, boning innovations came into a resurgence and they started being made out of other plant materials. Celluloid, <laughs> they're popular celluloid boning. Turkey quills, there was a company called Featherbone where they wove the quills from turkey feathers together as boning. So there was a broad range of boning alternatives.
2: There is a shift, at least I think there is, you might tell me that I'm talking complete nonsense. But there's a shift in the narrative from just wearing a corset to tight lacing, which seems to be the thing that's picked up. Tight lacing. What is that exactly? I mean, it's tight lacing, but just explain what the... (laughs) So there is absolutely a
3: massive difference between the regular practice of corset wearing and tight lacing. So your average person would wear a corset as primarily it started as support for the breasts and to provide a nice shape for the dress. So it'd be like wearing a bra on Spanx. Tight lacing is an extreme version of corset wearing which can be compared to a body modification. It takes years of training and dedication, very custom, specially made corsets to whittle down. I compare it to having your ears pierced. Most people have their ears pierced today, but not everyone has them stretched into gauges. So it's not as common or popular as people think, but it definitely did happen. And been proven that it's fine, there have been x-rays of modern tight lacers and their organs, and the human body is incredibly malleable. <laughs> the danger comes if you try to tight lace too quickly, if you don't train your body down.
2: Okay, because I was even reading an article recently about the actors in Bridgerton, I don't know if you're aware of Bridgerton, it's like a period drama, and some of the actors in it were saying that they'd nearly passed out because the corsets were laced up that tightly
3: the funny thing is they're wearing Regency corsets, which are the sports bra of historic underwear. <laughs> you
2: know, There's no
3: reason that they should be tight lacing at all in a Regency corset. The primary function of those was absolutely to lift the breasts. So that, I think, is down to bad costuming. And I actually did make a corset once for a film, and I didn't take the measurements. I was given a set of measurements from their costume department. When I went for a fitting with the actress, she wasn't there. So I have no idea if this corset fit her at all. So... This is how the film industry often does things. But I've heard that their corsets were made by Mr. Pearl, who is like the high fashion corset maker. You know, he's collaborated with uh, Mugler and, you know, Dita Von Teese is a big fan of his. So for them to have uncomfortable corsets, it makes no sense to me. But it sells copies. That's or I guess uh, in the modern parlance, it gives them clicks.
2: I mean, do you think that it might be like a kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy? The myth of the corset being tight-laced to the point you can't breathe is so pervasive that people thought that that's what they should be replicating?
3: Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. And, you know, it's a far better story than breaking news. Woman is comfortable in her dress.
2: Yeah, that's a shit story. No one's going to be interested (laughs) in that story. Corsets are fine.
3: And this is why it's been so pervasive is because this idea of the damsel who needs to be saved from her clothing it's a good story it's sexy it sells
2: it's a good story isn't it yeah
3: i'll
2: be back in a moment to talk more corsetry with alana after this short break how do you go about disproving this then because given that there is science I say scientific in inverted commas but there's articles in scientific journals and everything and how do you go about proving that actually corsets weren't that damaging how do you do that
3: I've been researching them for years at this point so I'd started my first degree in costume studies in 2001 and sort of went from there. Four degrees later, (laughs) I have a PhD in it, and my argument is that corsets are a site of feminist agency. So I've looked at advertisements to see what sizes were available. I've read fashion advice articles. I've realized that women owned the corset factories. They worked in them. They sold the corsets. They bought them. The people who were the loudest people against corsets were men and dress reformers and just the fact that you couldn't buy the tiny corsets that they claimed people were wearing off the rack you know at least in toronto you would have to have them specially made it's it's circumstantial evidence i guess at this point but it just piles up
2: when you actually start to break it down it is quite circumstantial. I mean, like you said, they wouldn't wear it if they couldn't breathe and couldn't walk for 300 odd years. There are people at the moment doing a kind of experimental history where they are wearing corsets and just kind of cracking on yep. with stuff.
3: Yeah. And there are also different types of corsets, right? It's not just a static garment. They changed shapes. They changed materials. There were corsets. I was actually spent last night with some patents for elasticated corsets with elastic panels in the 1890s and you have cycling corsets you have corsets for white collar women who are working in offices so that they're comfortable all day at their desks you have swim corsets pregnancy corsets yep and people are horrified by pregnancy corsets they're just like oh my god women corseted while pregnant but when you see them the shape of them actually is to support the belly from underneath so it's not a compression it's a support
2: a support which actually might you know if you've spoken to anyone who's carried a baby it might actually be nice to have a bit of
3: Mm -hmm, yeah you know help with that i have a friend who's a corset maker who has two children and she said absolutely like that support is spectacular
2: see that's incredible is it actually these are garments that have really (laughs) helped women out and been beneficial and these are the ones that demonize you mentioned there about the rational dress reform society because it wasn't just doctors just dismissing silly women but the corset became emblematic with emerging feminist movements who campaigned for quote-unquote rational dress and the corset became like you experienced i suppose this kind of bad feminist if you're wearing one it's bad So could you tell us a little bit about the rational dress society which sounds like a right laugh (laughs)
3: Yeah, there was a movement, you know, starting in the 1850s and carrying into the 20th century to reform women's dress. And there are various branches, there were some were concerned with the types of materials, so only wearing wool, having no pressure on the shoulders, having no pressure on the waist, having shorter dresses to not bring gross stuff from outside inside which that makes sense because Victorian streets were yucky we'll give them that one yeah okay. yeah, yeah we'll, we'll give them that one as well as you know dyes there were some nasty dyes used in the 19th century as well and they had some great talking points and I will fully admit that there are people who just do not want to wear corsets they don't find them comfortable and that's absolutely fine and that was their point if we don't wear corsets women can do more and be more active and be you know smarter since corsets cause stupidity and this actually led to a whole range of health corsets so people started advertising health wastes and hygiene wastes and they were less tight because again you know you need the bust support less boned they had cording instead of boning And it was an alternative to women who didn't want to stop wearing corsets because not everyone had that luxury to not dress to the status quo. You want to dress to the sartorial norm,
2: and also, like you know, you got to think about boobs Mm -hmm. in this because, like, the wonder bra, the support bra, the sports bra were a long time coming. And if you are blessed with an ample bosom, any woman with giant knockers will tell you pretty quickly that it's not as much fun as you think it's going to (laughs) be. Yeah
3: yeah and that the primary function was to support the breasts support the
2: boobs right yeah.
3: and eventually it, the focus shifted from the bust to kind of the waist and hips so you at the first decade of the 20th century you sort of get this from below the bust down to the hips and then you get different kinds of bust support
2: happening then and i loved what you were saying about the course that is still very much with us it absolutely is and i think that we're kind of entering into a similar Mm -hmm. contested area with the subject of waist training, which you see on Instagram. And that seems to have quite similar narratives swirling around it than it did in the 19th century. Yeah. What's your take on that?
3: Yeah, the kind of Kardashian-approved latex waist trainers, you know, wear them at the gym and you'll lose weight. They're a bit of a snake oil. If you're at the gym, you're going to be working out and losing weight and you're going to see results.
2: That is an excellent point.
3: Of course, yes, you're quite right. And, you know, you can't overeat in a it necessarily. You can eat, but your stomach can't expand, so you can't overeat. You can't drink carbonated beverages necessarily. So if you're wearing them for a weight loss purpose, it already, just by nature of what it is, limits overeating and bad consumption habits, and they're encouraging wearing it at the gym. So, yeah, you're going to start seeing this change. But to really change your body, you need to have a proper tight and corset and take years to practice.
2: And while we're on the subject of Kim Kardashian, she wore that Muglier dress to the 2019 Met Gala, the one with the impossibly tiny waist, and that was corseted, and I didn't realize that until I saw the little footage of her getting ready backstage and everything.
3: Yeah, that was a Mr. Pearl corset.
2: Was it? Oh, yes, you said. that's. Yeah, tell me about your take on that outfit and on the corset.
3: Yeah, so... This actually is an interesting point, too, because she is quite diminutive. She's, uh, I think, five foot three and has very wide hips and large breasts. And this is a very 19th century thing is to create an optical illusion with your body. So in the 1890s, they'd have massive sleeves and padded hips, and the waist looks smaller. And Kim Kardashian sort of took that and, you know, took it to an extreme. And I think she likes to play up the media. So, you know, saying that she couldn't sit down or she couldn't pee in it and all of these things. its She's saying these things to get media attention and people will talk about her. But yeah, I think the dress was spectacular.
2: <laughs> I mean, I wrote a whole article on it. <laughs> it was the most incredible. And I think what blew my mind about it was the fabric that had been used on it. It just looked see-through. Like, I didn't even realize she had a corset on. I don't think anybody did until everyone was just like, oh my God, like him, that's like her tiny, tiny waist. I always say, if something looks
3: impossibly small, if somebody's waist looks impossibly small, it's probably impossible. And people point to photographs from the 19th century and early 20th century of people in corsets saying, oh my God, look how small her waist is. And we forget that they were master photoshoppers in the 19th century <laughs> and you can retouch photos and make the waist look smaller so i found that pictures where people go oh my god that's an impossibly small waist well yeah there's a mysterious black shadow circled just at her waist <laughs> just there nowhere else <laughs> so you know it's been retouched
2: i mean even if kim kardashian was telling the truth that she couldn't bend over and she couldn't pee and she couldn't walk in it I think that that's probably an argument that supports the fact that people weren't doing that on a regular yeah. basis because she couldn't function. It's like nobody's mm-hmm. gonna do that.
3: Yeah, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you have people like Ethel Granger who had the world record for smallest waist at thirteen inches.
2: Thirteen inches.
3: Yeah, she died in nineteen eighty-two, wow. and she was very famous tightlacer, and she worked all day with her 13 inch waist. she rode her bike, but she had children, but she spent years. I think she started waist training in the 1920s. so she was a very young woman and she kept going and training down and so it is possible you just
2: your body needs to get used to it it's like anything right it's like i can't walk in high heels because i've never gotten used to it 13 inches i don't think that my wrist is 13 <laughs> inches that's <laughs> think my neck is 13 inches while you're here and because this is hot topic at the moment and because you're a fashion historian and because we're talking about her i'm gonna veer off corsets just slightly what did you think about kim kardashian wearing the marilyn dress to this year's met gala uh,
3: <laughs> uh, can i swear is that oh please help yourself okay fucking travesty <laughs> Like <laughs> the people at ripley's who allowed her to borrow that dress have to review their ethics i don't think there's a fashion historian on the planet who didn't bang their head against the wall repeatedly when they saw that
2: i mean when i when i first heard that she was going to do it my first reaction was like oh my god the marilyn dress and like I, I was quite excited to see it and then i actually sat with it and thought with it and was, from a historian's point of view like, that's... Well, you, you tell us about the ethics of, of fashion historian and why that was such a travesty.
3: I mean, this is a iconic dress that was made for her. It was sewn onto her at the event that she sang happy birthday to President Kennedy. So that is a cultural moment. I'm not even American, and that moment is imprinted in my brain.
2: I'm in the UK, and that's a moment.
3: Yeah, exactly. And... So it was made to fit her exactly. She didn't wear underwear underneath it so that it created this perfect nude illusion. The fabric was meant to match her skin tone. And it's a moment. And then Kim Kardashian comes along and doesn't fit into it. So the fabric is strained. The fabric is something called French souffle and is not made anymore. So it's literally irreplaceable. You can't even repair it with the same fabric. And having old textiles in light is bad for it she's probably sweating she's probably wearing perfume she's covered in makeup and having that laundered afterwards is going to be an expensive
2: you can't bung that in on a boil wash can <laughs> you? <laughs> exactly and she only wore
3: it for like a brief second i think she changed out of it immediately after being on the red carpet and just for the ego boost and it sets a horrible precedent i've seen conservators at museums actually i follow a conservator from the met on twitter and she said that she has fought for years against even anna wintour saying can you let so and so borrow this historic dress for the event and they're like no no they can't but this sets up a precedent of well kim kardashian did it why can't i borrow something
2: yeah like and even if you manage to push past the fact that well she will have never inevit- i know kim kardashian doesn't sweat she glows. but she'll have glowed <laughs> in it Right. Quite a lot. And she wore it and it had been perfume. Even if you managed to get past the fact that there would have been damage to it from a historical point of view, from a conservative conservation point of view, the last person to wear that dress was Marilyn Monroe when she sung Happy Birthday to the President. She was the last person to wear it. And now the last person to wear it is Kim Kardashian.
3: Yeah. She's taken this legacy away from this other iconic woman, you know, and I know that she's obsessed with Marilyn Monroe and... If you want to cosplay as a celebrity, fine. You know, she had a reproduction made. Why couldn't she have just worn the reproduction?
2: I know. And there was a photo of her later on wearing another Marilyn dress, wasn't there? Yes.
3: Yeah, there was for the after party. It's can tangle.
2: see the rage in you this is <laughs> yeah. this, like a real emotional yeah thing and you're not the only person actually that i've mm-hmm. seen this from and if anyone's on fashion history tiktok or social media the rage is yeah because this is a real no-no this is like i can't just drop an email to the british museum and ask if i'd be all right to wear the sutton who helmet because i've got you to know. go to, a, to play bingo tonight it's like you just yeah. don't
3: do that and i've seen so many comments on social media people being like well it's just a dress
2: If it was just a dress, then why was she wearing it if it's just a dress?
3: Exactly. And this is a problem that fashion historians have of, well, it's just fashion. Mm. People's inability to see fashion as artifacts and having cultural importance because it's just a dress. The general population doesn't see fashion history as being a legitimate form of history.
2: But that dress represents so much. It's not just a historic item. And if you're a Marilyn fan, as you know, there's a particularly dark time in her life when she wore that and mm-hmm. that it was custom and it is it's iconic you know yeah but well, but on my did Marilyn wear corsets you know everybody did in the 50s
3: okay <laughs> that's just the shapewear of the 50s was very corset like you know they were called waist cinchers or girdles and you know you see someone like Malia Nermi, Vampirella who she absolutely did oh of course and this is also yes. when it became kind of solidified as a fetish item the corset in the 1950s with people like Betty Page so People in popular fashion were wearing waist cinchers and girdles. The fetish scene was wearing corsets. Corsets. And they still
2: have that kind of quite punky goth fetish. mm -hmm. You probably wouldn't pop down the supermarket just in a corset without raising a few eyebrows because it's not an item that people expect to see.
3: Yeah, well, again, that would be the tight lacing. You could wear a corset under your clothing and nobody's going to notice.
2: Good point. See, I'm crap at wearing corsets. That's basically the problem (laughs) here. So I think that you have smashed the myth of the rib crushing corset. And now anyone else who's listening can join corset, TikTok and social media. If anyone says that it does, and you can also jump in there and go, no, 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 no. I heard Dr. (laughs) Alana McKnight. But the last question that I would like to ask you, and I know that we have just explained why it's a travesty to wear historical garments and that you shouldn't do it. It's terrible to do it. But if you could... If you were allowed as a fashion historian to try on one item of historical clothing, and I wouldn't tell anybody, but what item would you go for?
3: Oh, there's the first historic dress that I ever fell in love with is a Charles Worth 1901 black and white kind of Art Nouveau swirly number. I would absolutely wear that. And just to be completely transparent, I have worn an 1880s corset. I got yelled at. I was in my first undergrad in costume studies. The professor came into the room while they were lacing me into it and they lost their mind. So I uh, have not done that since.
2: <laughs> you didn't wear it to the Met Gala. So that's... I didn't,
3: no. It was in a back room in Halifax. Yeah, I would wear the Charles Worth. And anyone who knows dress history knows exactly the dress I'm talking about.
2: I'm going to go and look it up. Yeah, yeah, if it's... anybody would like to find out more about you and your work, Alana, where can they find you?
3: I'm on Twitter at Alana dot mck have just recently started an instagram account since i have a book that will be released in the next couple of years so that's Doctor Dot Fashion on instagram and i think that's largely where you can find me
2: oh, that's amazing and for the people that do the fashion on bridgerton this is where you can find yes. alana to <laughs> get a bit more detail on what you're doing alana thank you so much for joining no me problem. you have been a revelation Thank
3: you. And I would like to just conclude by saying that no one has ever had a rib removed for the sake of corsets.
2: What a great place. That's never happened. That's never happened. Hopefully it never will. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. And thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Alana McKnight, for her time today. How great was she? If you've enjoyed our podcast, please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've got episodes on the history of BDSM and poppers also coming up. This podcast was produced by Charlotte Long and Sophie G and includes music by Epidemic
0: Sound. thank you
2: for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use the code BETWIXT at checkout.